And yes, we are against impulse buying. Why? Because it makes a worse world. You don't get to see yourself. You identify yourself with the product that you're purchasing. It's like, no, you know, you're more than that. So what is your guys' connection? That's my sister. Okay, you guys are sisters. Oh, I was like, what does he mean? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, we're, we're sisters. <laughs> Don't read too much into our questions. We're simple men. Oh my God, he knows me so well. Okay, yes, I read into everything too much. Um, Yeah, we're sisters. How long have you guys been in business together? This would be our third year? Yeah, we're going on to our third year. We're starting it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. How did you get to a place where you're like, let's start a business together? We come from an entrepreneurial family. Okay, we're like serial entrepreneurs. My dad has his own tire shop. My mom has her own rug store. And she has her own garden (laughs) where she makes crazy amount of vegetables that she sells to all the locals. And then my brother has a donut shop. He also has a barbecue spot. And he's owned other businesses in the past. And he's honing in on what he wants to focus on. And then, like, in this family of just entrepreneurship, you grow up wanting to do your own thing. Okay. And establish your own legacy and have your own sense of success and ownership. It's just natural. We also grew up going to the flea market. So, you know, getting that exposure to talking to people, being put out there, feeling really nervous. So I think we got a lot of exposure to just kind of the business world. And we really believed we could do it, too. So we went off, and I think the reason why we decided to do rugs was because we were already doing it in the flea market, and we believed we could take it to another level. But we kind of just needed to step back away from that flea market environment and really test things out on our own. So that's kind of what kick-started us into it. How did you end up selling rugs in the first place? Okay, so our background is that we're Middle Eastern. We're connected with a lot of Middle Easterns. So... um, they are connected with a lot of Middle Easterns. Our roots go back to that. So what's what, what do these connections bring us, right? The transportable good that was easily brought over from overseas to here that does well in the States is rugs. So it really comes from our background. Like the people that we purchase a lot of rugs from that really started off with it own their own manufacturing company in Turkey. They're also Palestinians. So it's it's what... I think over time became successful in the United States as a result of our background, as a result of our culture, as a result of our overseas connections and what our people did well for a period of decades or centuries. So I think the connections just made sense and it was like rugs. Also the other really important fact about rugs too is if you don't do and you don't sell well in one year or one week or one month, you still have that good. That good is sustainable for a long time. So for people who are coming in with a limited amount of resources, you could really change your strategy several times, have a lot of failures, and still have your fixed good as a source that you can continue to play with to figure out where it works and where it doesn't. That makes sense. So it's, so it, it's, it's a lot of things that, that made it, but I think more than anything, it's just contextual. I think we were just like, ah, rugs, okay, we'll do it, you know? But over time, as we kind of got more committed into it and we, you know, we researched more and we did more of the psychology and 
you know, we became more committed to the idea because of also how it connects to human life in general. So you had a storefront in Centerville, Jerusalem Rugs, right? Um, you're transitioning from a physical brick-and-mortar location to uh, a web-based e-commerce kind of point of interaction for purchasing carpets. Can you explain what led to that transition and what you hope to see happen with an online presence? We learned a lot about the market after being um, open for, I believe it was a year and a half to two years. We had a lot of the inventory that we have wasn't suitable for what our target audience was looking for in that area. Um, Also, our capacity to purchase all of those rugs now that we knew what they wanted was extremely limited. Um, And what we had was very difficult for us to move out of the store because it just wasn't what people were looking for in terms of style, in terms of material, in terms of make. So um, when we got the opportunity to leave, um, we definitely were like, it makes complete sense for us to transition to an online store because the whole world literally opens up to us in terms of how flexible we're able to be in our in our strategy, um, who we can target, um, what it takes for us to target and to get people to purchase from us. And it can be done on our own time. We don't have to be restricted in a physical space and be like, this is when we do work. This is when we don't. So the strategy just made complete sense for us to just move our presence from a physical store to an online store. Um, and that, that so when we got the opportunity, we we're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And uh, I think we're excited about what this website can bring because, it, again, the website, again, has this element of not just restricting yourself to one element. So if we wanted to branch out into other things, I think it would be very easy for us to do so. There's no... There's no fixed cost in doing so. So there's no brick and mortar store anymore, or is there? Correct. No more. Okay. What's the website? Yeah, it's JerusalemRugs.com. Yeah. So um, we're still up and running right now. We're in the process of planning again a a completely different strategy about how we educate our consumers. Trustworthiness and truthfulness are very important to us. So we're doing our best to help educate the consumer about the products that they're buying, whether we carry them or not, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of start to establish that reputation that we have knowledge and to help con- empower consumers to purchase on knowledge and that our products are suitable for those who are conscientious about the purchasing s- decisions that they make. So I've never bought a rug. Mm. So I know I know next to nothing about rugs other than I could point one out. <laughs> if I saw one, I would know it was a rug. I wouldn't necessarily know if it was a good rug. Right. What do I need to know about rugs, basically? Well, basically, you need to know everything about a rug. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So we've gathered some information for the past month. We have been writing articles regarding what makes up a rug. There are... T- couple components of the rug first you have the material next is what's the pile height figure out the type of knotting there's different types of knotting the machine how is it made and then there's also color and then the design there's a traditional rug and there is a vintage rug versus a contemporary rug so these are all five six things that i just listed goes into a rug how do you know which one's important then you have to evaluate which one's important for me Where is this going? Do I have kids? Do I have pets? So it's just understanding where is this going? And then there's still a lot of 
components that we're trying to add into it. Like, what do you want? How do you want this room to make you feel? Bring in the cost of it and then also the design aspect and the colors of it. So even right now, we're not 100% sure how this process looks like. Mm-hmm. We're getting there, though. We're, we're really getting there. <laughs> um, so one of the ways we've tried to tackle it before, and I think right now we're just refining the process and we're going to empower the consumer to do so, is we're going to take uh, the consumer through a quiz about some things that they're looking for. Do you have kids? Do you have this? Do you have that? Um, and that will, in end, choose a series of products or a series of lines that would potentially be suitable for their specific needs. So we're going to make that purchasing decision super uh, easy for the consumer. And then um, we're also going to provide them with all the information of how and why we came to that decision through the articles, through the videos, um, and through other tools that we're eventually going to provide to them. So it's, it's, it's a work in progress. We definitely want to be with our word, and we're making sure all our sources align to make sure that we are truthful and trustworthy. Um, and, and it's honestly, it's a really fun journey to go on because who knew such a small decision required this depth of thought? But if you think about it, I mean, if you if you do purchase a rug for like a a dining room area or something, yeah, that goes under your table, your family gathers there, yeah, for several meals a week. Um, there could be all kinds of things that happen. You could work from that space. So when Dave was like, "I met these awesome people. We need to have them on the podcast." Here's their website. I went and I read and I was super intrigued by some of the stuff that I found. Because um, I told my wife, like, this is a, let me read you some of this stuff. As I was reading it, and I was like, this is a rug store. Yeah. This is like the weirdest thing I've ever read on a rug store website. Because you're talking about the importance of space, the importance of intentionality and decisions. And I was like super intrigued. I was like, I don't even need a rug, but maybe I should buy a rug. (laughs) <laughs> because I want to be intentional with my space. Can you guys talk a little bit more about that and the philosophy behind, you know, why rugs are important? So when we came to the question of who are we as a company, we actually started off with what's our brand? What's our make? What's our essence? And we thought a lot about how space defines you. The space that you occupy um, defines you. Like you go into a room very clearly articulates who you are, what headspace that you're in. So we spend so much time in our homes, so much time with our loved ones. Uh, We have spent so much time in our own personal rooms. And the question is, who is actually taking the time to properly organize and uh, design the room in a way that best suits and reflects the deepest part of themselves? And if they were to do that, how would that impact their life? That was important for me because it seemed always to me that when we're out in the world, I always forget what I'm after, you know? And it's just like that space that we call home has a large role to play in our grounding and in our, and, and in our maintaining of our identity and our goals. And our ambition, our greatest ambition is to have people, once they visit our site, find a rug that speaks to their soul and their identity, and their goals, and their ambitions. Because just like we want to live as genuine visionaries, and we want to live as people that make an impact in the world, we definitely want to empower everybody else to do the same. And what a great world would it be if everybody was constantly reminded that they are enough, 
and their purpose and their understanding of why they exist is true and it matters. And we believe that can be reflected by design. We believe that it can be reflected by the way you organize yourself. We believe that your thoughts matter. So our role is to just help you provide at least one intentional piece and all the content and all the support around it to help you inch forward in your life in a small but meaningful way. To maybe frame up some of our context here, I have a couple questions that might be helpful to have answered. Since our listeners can't see you, there are some things about you that they don't know. Um, First of all, um, you guys speak English pretty phenomenally. Um, I don't know if you were raised and born here or overseas. Number two, y'all are wearing the hijab and they can't see that because they can just hear you, right? Um, So obviously you're Muslim and so I have questions around that too. So could you maybe talk a little bit about um, your background? I don't know if you're comfortable saying that you're from Palestine. You mentioned it, but not directly. But um, that can be helpful for people to understand where you're coming from. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So we were both born in Palestine. I'm giving you just a history of our family as a whole. Um, there's nine of us total. Eight of us were born born in Palestine. Um, I think the youngest one was about a couple of months when we came to America. I came here when I was seven, around seven, and she came. So she would have to be like eight and a half when she was when we came to America. So we first landed in uh, Heber Heights, Heber Heights, Ohio. And then, so we've just been in Dayton, Ohio for the majority of our lives. And yes, we are Muslim. Um, Did that answer your question? <laughs> that is helpful, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to add on just really quickly. The fact that we spent the early years of our life in Palestine actually, I think, really shaped us. Because when we, before we moved to the States, it was like a war-torn country. I remember she was having nightmares. I was having nightmares about, you know, the invasion and the conflict that's in the US, in the Middle East, rather, excuse me, between Israel and Palestine. And because we had like familial connections here, they're like, come here, come here. You don't want to endanger your life. Come here. So eventually we did come down. Um, but I do just really want to say that those seven years, I think, are deeply entrenched in our essence, mm-hmm. like of where our background is. It's that. There's conflict in the world. People are out, like, people are out there, like, making decisions that don't benefit everybody. And I think that also impacts what we do. Those first seven years of anybody's life are the most important, I would argue, because you get to, you're just brand new and you just see reality. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what, this was my reality. But, but for me, like, I hated Palestine when I was younger. So when I heard that we were moving to America, I was like, peace out, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> In this place called America, you get like, I genuinely thought like there was absolutely no abuse. Everybody has its own palace. You get to eat candy whenever you want. I was like, I don't need to be here. I'm out. Because it was such a hard reality that I was so willing to let it go and to come to America. But this is also a reality that's in my opinion, it's deluded. Like, I, I honestly don't believe a lot of people are seeing, actually seeing reality of how the world actually works. And I'm just now realizing it now, the psyche that I had, or like how Palestine affected my life, 
shows up right now. They're like two different worlds. Like, Kalthar really hit the nail on the head of, like with it. I'm like, just completely looking at her like, oh, good point. That you get to see an ugly side of the world and you come to America where it's complete security, economic freedom, everybody has a chance, everybody can learn. They're two alternate realities in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And we got to see both of them. But we also got to see what happens on the beautiful side of human nature and what happens on the ugly side of human nature. And now we're living in a really interesting time in the U.S. because things are not harmonious. You know, like things are really changing around the world rapidly. And I think instinctually, deep down, I'm like, I don't want everything to go to chaos. I've been there. I've seen that. You know, Hmm. I know it even though I'm, I'm far removed away from it from time, I know it, right? And it's kind of like, what can we do? What, what is our role to contribute to that, to, to prevent people from going into chaos? Now, our, our ability, she's really good at honing this on me. I have like a control issue. I think I can control other people. <laughs> and she's always coming at my neck like, you don't have control over anybody except yourself. And that's such a good point. And I've just been trying to soak it up for the past month. I don't think she believes me. But I really have been trying to soak it up. Like, I can only control me. Focus on me. Because, like, I just want a really beautiful world. Mm -hmm. And I think I can do a lot to contribute to that. And this is where we're really good teammates because she's like, no, you can't. And I'm like, but I can do something. So, it's again, it brings that beautiful harmony, that balance in the character, that balance in vision. Um, And that's kind of how our upbringing has molded everything and has brought us to this point. So you've experienced a cultural reality overseas, and then you came to the United States where the cultural reality is drastically different. Um, As a result, you are kind of multicultural in your perspective on life. Yeah. Um, Are there any specific ways that you could point to that your understanding of the world that was shaped from your time in the Middle East um, comes out in your business philosophy? maybe how you relate to people. You've mentioned family being important. Um, Your sisters and you're in business together. Maybe there are other ways that your family is connected to your business. Um, And I'll just throw out one other thought there. What about like a legacy or multi-generational business mentality? Do you have any ideas around those? I can never divorce the idea of my family and my upbringing from our identity as a business and you've brought up this question of legacy and multi-generational business that is exactly the intention of this business and we're like not even a whole seed we're like half a seed right now it's like oh these girls are gonna build a multi-generational business okay sure you know that's what I feel like sometimes other people can look at it when we express we have serious ambitions in the short and long-term future we have serious ambitions we're not in this to play a game because one we take our life seriously Two, we take the opportunity of being alive as something super significant. I'm alive. And it's like when I smoke away, I can't use another term, but it's like when I smoke away my time doing useless things, who's accountable for that other than me? And who has to pay for that other than me and the world? So we're doing the best that we can to build a foundation of a business that is going to live and exist through the generations, but is going to have its own integrity, its own essence. And it's going to give back in a way, our intention is, that companies have never given back before. And our intention with our profits is to put our money where our mouth is, 
because we are Muslim, we believe in an afterlife. Because we are Muslim, we have a different definition and sense of success. And because we are Muslim, we want to have a legacy. We want to have our own legacy, not just necessarily associated with Islam or not necessarily associated with, um, you know, the specific business that we're going into, but our names. We want our name and our presence to matter. So I was going to ask you what your definition of success is, but I think, did you just give a definition of success? That's my definition of that success. That was real good. Yeah. Would well, you have anything to add to that? Um, my definition of success definitely is a legacy, but it's also more of like, I want to make sure that I live my life and do what I want with my time, however I want to do with my time. I work, I'm a civil engineer, and I, like, I'm not going to disclose the name of the company. <laughs> all respect to them. But, you know, and just like all companies, you work at a 9 to 5, you have a boss, you have jobs. I mean, the projects, you don't get to choose your projects. You're like, hey, you have to do this. And it's just like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I want to do. <laughs> right. So to me, it's just like me having the ability to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, what the laws that I have written for myself, and the laws I have written on myself are the laws that God wrote for us, the laws of Islam, without having feel peer pressured to bend my morals or my my thought process or just bend myself to a company or to a person or to a law that's that I don't agree with. Until I can one hundred percent fully do that, that's when I know I've been successful. If I have if I can write my day-to-day schedule the way that I wanted to write it down, to me, that is success. But at the same time, there is a part of me that is arrogant, like, there is arrogance and kind of egotistical. Like, I want everyone to, want my, to know my name. Everybody, know my name. But it's just like, relax, relax. But at the same time, it's just like, if you want to do something, go big or go home. I love that honesty. I mean, that's really, I think, cool to be able to admit that. I have that. You know, not as much as I used to. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> Where's today's muscle? <laughs> yeah, like I, there definitely was a time where I, that's like really what I wanted. And yeah. certainly I would love if, you know, the One Small Difference podcast had a million downloads um, an episode. <laughs> Why not? Which would only Why be not? like a million more than it has right now. Right. So yeah. like that's, that's not that hard. You know? <laughs> what is the the big overarching family story that uh, has shaped you? We have, I believe, a sense of unwavering loyalty to each other. We will protect each other. I believe. I mean, I am willing to. Like, when one of us are hurting, I swear to you, we're hurting. I'm hurting. Why are you hurting? Stop hurting. You know, it's just because, like, we have we have a sense of, lo- sense of loyalty for each other. And I think that that comes from the fact that we've been through so much together. And I cannot divorce this aspect of it. Our belief system, Islam, literally nurtures the family unit. And it says everybody has their place, everybody has their rights, everybody has their responsibilities. Come through on all of that because you're accountable to all of that. Come through. We don't always agree with each other. 
we don't agree with our parents all the time. We don't agree with our siblings all the time. We don't, we were not always on the same page. But what I am so grateful for is that we have each other. Because what I what we keep saying to each other is if we don't have each other, who has our back? Who? Who's going to come through and help me if I'm in trouble? If I can't count on you, if you can't count on me. So that sense of family loyalty, I think, just makes us a little different. I right now, um, I'm committed to entrepreneurship because I also want to learn the ropes of it so I can give back more in government or in social work later on in my life. And I'm, my brother is teaching me the ropes of it. You know, I have to give him credit for that. If he weren't teaching me, you know what, I, what I've learned so far from business? How hard it is to change. Oh my God, why is it so hard? It's so hard to move a company in a different direction. It's so hard to get momentum going, you know? And it's kind of like this loyalty, the sense of loyalty to each other has, has ha, through a lot of tragedy, I would say, has kind of, has kind of made us a unique unit. And I think one of my biggest heartbreaks in life would be if this family unit was ever to disintegrate. It just would be so huge for me. Like, I think I would like not be the same person. To give you guys kind of like a broad, not going to the specifics of an idea, my, both my parents had a high school education. They came here um, with nine kids. What are, you, what are you guys supposed to do? What is an immigrant family going to do? She, they both don't know English, um, don't have a strong family like support system around them to carry them. So obviously they start businesses. My sister mentioned the um, flea market earlier on. That's where, we, that's where they initially started having their businesses but then also that's where they kind of grabbed they have nine kids what are they gonna do with nine kids <laughs> like hey let's put them to work let's teach them new skills so we were even very young we were take we were always working we were always working even on the weekends we didn't have a free weekend we we're either helping my dad my dad first started off with scooters and then later went on to um a mechanic shop my mom started off with blankets, but then later she still has blankets, but still rugs, and that's that requires manpower. I'm not gonna see her make my mom try to lift these heavy rugs by herself. Like we, so as a family, we'd go and help them try to bring income into the into the family. So I think we've, in the beginning of our lives, we've all had this sense of you know I'm sacrificing myself for the family. Yeah. So we all did that to each other. We were all self-sacrificing for each other. But so we never actually grounded and trusted in ourselves and built ourselves up. So for doing that for a couple of years, everybody self-sacrificing, we weren't really moving anywhere because everybody themselves, not only were we oppressing ourselves because we weren't doing what we wanted to do, because I feel like, hey, I can't, I can't study this, this book or whatever. I can't take this class because I have to take this extra time to help my brother out, help my sister out, help my mom out. And everybody was doing that. So because everybody was doing that, our family wasn't going anywhere because everybody was, like, stressed out. Because where's my time? Where's me? So I think that was our first phase of our life. And now we're coming into the second phase where, like, everybody stop sacrificing yourself for everybody else. Take care of yourself. You go to school. You finish your school. You make sure that you get your degree. You finish your business. Stop asking your brothers for help. Like, figure stuff out on your own. And then once you have yourself together then we can help each other out. So 
it was that mentality of self-sacrifice for the greater good for the family while oppressing yourself. And then it's like, this is not the right approach. You have to take care of yourself because at the end of the day, you're with yourself 24 hours. And you have to be happy with yourself. You have to do whatever it is that you want to do. So I think that realization of how our family mentality not only shapes our business, but shapes who we are as a, as a family. And also, like, bringing back to your original question, how, you know, Palestine and the reality of it and coming to a country where you don't have anything, how do you survive? You really have to start with yourself. And I don't blame my parents or, like, I don't blame anybody else. It's just, you know, that's just life. What are you supposed to do? I've probably done the same thing. But at certain times, like, you have to take care of yourself. You have to start with yourself. I agree with her, but I also disagree. I think it's a combination of both. And I think our family really knew the former so well, helping each other out, stepping up for each other. It's our culture, it's our religion, that we kind of neglected the latter. And I think even our business philosophy, it's, it's molded around the individual because if you get the individual right and you get the family unit right, it comes to full fruition. And I think at this phase, where we're at is getting the individual right on top of the family unit. And then I think it just skyrockets from there. Um, I have a lot of hope for the future of all my family members because we've been through so much and we've always been there for each other. There's only so much another person can do for you. There's only so much a government can do for you. It's only so much, you know, another entity can do for you. You got to You got to pick yourself up. So that's where our philosophy comes in. But there's also a philosophy of you don't you don't sacrifice another person. You don't let them fail. You don't let them die off and and for for the sake of yourself you don't do that it's, it's a little bit of both so I think we're both we're learning like the process of accountability and self-care and taking care of your family so it's kind of a beautiful balance um and it's actually really beautiful to see all the family members kind of grow and nurture and step into their own light I think that what I'm hearing is the difference between individualism and interdependence so we talk about interdependence a lot on the podcast and interdependence is just the idea that all of us are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are all individuals. We all do have personal responsibility, but to just kind of go after that relentlessly without regard for anybody else around us, I personally think is part of the problem that we have right now in the American culture. Just like, extreme individualism without you know any regard for for the idea that we are all are a part of something i think family is designed to be the place where we learn that where we learn interdependence where we learn mm. self sacrifice where we learn that we are a part of something bigger we are we have a role to play um we are individuals but we also um We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And what we do does have an impact on those other people in that same, you know, ecosystem with us. So I love everything you guys are saying. I mean, I think it's really, really insightful. It's interesting to hear what you're talking about because it sounds like a fusion of East and West. Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> so we we appreciate the relational communities that we are part of and that forms our core identity. But at the same time, there are negatives to a culture that only focuses on that. 
On the flip side, in America, we focus only on the individual at the expense of our grounded communities, thereby not having grounded mm. communities. And I think just maybe by chance with the way that you have come through from Palestine to the U.S. and, you know, been exposed to both sides, you've been formed into a grounded community that you appreciate mm-hmm. and you feel loyalty to. You also recognize the strength of having a healthy individual perspective and coming through that and reinvesting into a dynamic and healthy community is the outcome of East and West meeting in the middle. You got it. Well said. And if we could have everybody understand that, then this place would be phenomenal. Exactly. But right now, I think we're fighting a battle against that or this, when it should be both at the same time. So you said that when you came into an affluent area, there was a level of bias that you felt. Um, I'm curious, what year did you move to the United States? 2001. Okay. So obviously that was... A few months right before 9-11. Right before 9-11. Like literally a month or two and then boom. I was like, oh. I remember seeing that event on TV and being on and just knowing something changed. Like just how could I conceive that as a young person? I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely registered. Oh, it was Muslims? Like, you know, just kind of being like stuck in a mind frame understanding but not understanding i think that's how it that's what it is to be young you actually understand what you're young. i really believe that but you don't necessarily always understand everything that goes along with it so we came in 2001 and could you describe the experience like from that point forward in terms of what did you experience as immigrants coming into that situation i have to be honest over overall overwhelmingly it was positive awesome overwhelmingly this is a great country because of the justice that it upholds the truth it upholds and the genuine goodwill of the common people um Hmm. it's just really unfortunate that when you go into an area sometimes or you encounter specific people that really feel like um what's the word i'm looking for it's like they feel entitled and they feel like you're the outsider and you're the one that's coming to ruin whatever they have and it's just like you're the corrupter and it's like you know nothing about me nothing and it's just that judgment and that bias and that corrupted worldview of who we are what we do what we're about that just makes it difficult to just exist in a specific community. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly, our my experience has been positive. Um, I've had opportunities here that I don't think I would have been able to have in much of the rest of the world. So I have to show gratitude to that, and I have to pay it forward. I mean, obviously you get those, like, go back to your country, um, take that thing off. But it's just like, yeah, whatever. Right. People it's, say those things or have said those things? Yeah, they have, yeah. But it's just like, to me, the way I look at them, it's just like, okay, it's just a pace of arrogance, insecurity, fear. Like, I sympathize with that. That's not, you're not physically hurting me, and I'm okay with that. What do you think is behind the air of ignorance that you're talking about? Like, why is that a thing? 
what do you mean by that? When I think about the people or like, like somebody asked me, like, what hurt you? Because I was explaining to them, like, my, my mindset. It's like, what hurt you? Or who hurt you? It's always just been human nature. I can't, you can't, I can't sit here and be like, oh, it was just like Caucasians or black people. No, it's just human nature. It's just what we were born with. That's, that's what gets me and that's what hurt me. And I can't fight that, but I only can fight it with, inside myself. Do you think that what you're doing and how you're living will matter in a hundred years? I don't know if it'll matter to anybody else, but it'll matter to me and my small circle. And my, the generations that come after me, first of all, I'm a woman, so I can, you know, have control. Basically, I'm making babies. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know how to, I don't know how to be sophisticated when I talk. <laughs> um, but by the way that I'm living and by what I'm learning, I can teach my sons and my daughters, and they themselves can teach the generations after them and after them. Hopefully, it will, just through me and my existence, and the way that I raise my family and my kid, it definitely will matter because I will have an influence, not a direct influence, maybe an indirect influence, to um, my great, 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 great kids. Everything, yeah, I think every, everything that we do matters, even if you have intention or don't have intention. There's a ripple effect just by you existing. So that will definitely matter in 100 years. So you're saying that even if there's no intentionality behind it, that it still does matter. Maybe just not in the way that we would like it to. Yes. Yes. Everything we do matters. It's whether we make it count. And you could be asking the question of, are we going to make it count? We're doggone doing everything we can to try to make it count, right? And I think it will count. Because small actions add up. Your intentions add up. And we believe in a God that will direct that in a way that will properly suit your sincerity to him and the intention that you were, you know, that you were after. Now, the, the, now there's another element of the magnitude of that and that I don't have say or control over. But to some degree, I do believe it will impact our future generations to some degree. Um, and, you know, maybe it won't. But I don't think that's, that's really the... Um, I don't think that's really the important question. It's a mm-hmm. question of are, are you doing that what you can to make it count? So how do you guys see what you're doing in light of the community around you? Like, Does that matter? Through our work, we're trying to empower the individual to make better decisions. But God willing, through our profits, we want to take that and invest back in the community and build even stronger, righteous, more just-seeking communities that that, that want to do good for other people and that want to see a thriving and um, beautiful, just society. And it won't happen unless we make those necessary investments. So if we believe that the decisions that we're making have the potential to make an impact in our space, um, then the question is, to what are we driving? So what are your hopes and do you have a clear dream for the future that you're pursuing with the choices that you're making right now? As a company, to to put it shortly and to use one of your questions, I want it to count in 100 years from today. I really believe that, you know, the principles that we're laying are like 
unique. And if we put our money where our mouth is, we're going to stand and we're going to be successful. And it's just a question of, will we do it? So in a hundred, for, for our company, where I see us going is, it's only up from here. Literally, because we can't go any lower, but also <laughs> because we're going to stay in this game and we're going to grind. We're going to grind and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the One Small Difference podcast. We've had a blast. Hopefully you have as well. Another couple ways that you can engage with us, you can rate and review this podcast. That'd be super great because it does help other people find it. You can also follow us on Instagram, one underscore small underscore difference. Share this podcast with people that you think would benefit from it. Your friends, your neighbors, your mom and dad. These are great ideas. Ultimately, I think these concepts can challenge us to think about the way that we make decisions every day and appreciate the ramifications it has in our daily life. Yeah, and really, we believe that these little small differences can add up to really big differences long term. And so go out and live today in a way that will matter in 100 years. Shalom.